This episode of the Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by Arup, an independent firm of designers, planners, engineers, consultants, and technical specialists working across every aspect of today's built environment. In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I had a brilliant conversation with Andrew Pettifer, the New South Wales Region Lead for Arup, and Steve Costa, the Managing Director at the International Design Practice, Hassel. We have a fascinating discussion about the impacts of technology, design, and leadership on the way that we work and how this fits into the smart city arena. Arab have just opened three new buildings for their workforce in Sydney, Melbourne, and Singapore, and we talk about the guiding principles for these buildings and why it's so important that we have this forward-thinking approach rather than just leasing an existing office building. I have visited both the Sydney and Melbourne sites, and I must say the intentional design really does make a difference. It just feels different being there, um, particularly in Sydney with the big empty space in the middle. It just really opens it up for collaboration, and you can kind of still see everyone even if you're not on the same floor, which until you're there, you can't really make sense of in your head. But anyway, we discuss a lot of these things um, in, in the episode. So Andrew and Steve explain the process of planning, designing and implementing such a smart and sustainable building. As well as talking about the different ways design, space and technology are used, we also discuss the power of workplace culture and the importance of giving people flexible work choices and the need for leadership to create high trust environments for staff and leaders. We finish our conversation discussing the emerging trends in the ways that we work and how work will change into the future. If you or your company would like to sponsor an episode of the Smart Community Podcast, please send an email to zoe at mysmart.community and we can discuss the different options. As always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Andrew and Steve. How are you both today? Very well, thank you. Very good. Very good. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Excellent. I'm so excited to learn um, more about what you are doing. So let's start with, can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? So Andrew, if you want to go first. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a a buildings engineer, a building services engineer. Um, That's what I've been doing through my career. But I guess as it's evolved, I've I've moved into more into a sort of leadership um, space. So now I I lead groups of consultants work on on projects, and uh, you know, I'm about um, about design, um, but also about leadership and and culture, and 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 actually how those things interrelate. So how we can have a really good culture within within our organisation as a design company that creates great. Um, outcomes for our clients. Excellent. And so, so I'm an architect, trained as an architect, but quickly got involved and, and passionate about the briefing stage of projects in particular because it felt to me like that's where a lot of untapped value seems to fit in the process. So I spent, I spent most of my working career helping clients to sort of develop and articulate a better brief in order for them to get better design outcomes. And ultimately, we're trying to make better places for businesses and people, um, you know, places that people love to work in this case. Excellent. Okay, so how do you think that 
how do you think the way that we work fits into the smart cities or the smart community kind of arena? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? With the impact that technology now has had on you know the way that we all work, we've seen this kind of merging of uh, our time, if you like, between uh, our personal time and, and our work time, and um, you know, technology has enabled us to work any anywhere, uh, any time, any place. And in some ways, that's um, you know, it, it, the risk is that that's the kind of threat, you know, to, to people's well-being. But I think we need to, as as an organisation, uh, at Arab at least, we we see that as an opportunity to actually to improve. Um, the you know pe- people's lives and, and what they get out of you know what they do working um, for us. So to, to me, the question is how do we use um, technology, workplace, flexible working, and so on to uh, create what our business wants to uh, be, but do it in a way that um, you know makes people's lives uh, you know enjoyable and you know they're passionate about you know working for us. And I think for me, you know, we're sort of particularly interested in. Um, how to make places uh, work smarter, not not just harder. And, and whilst there's obviously all sorts of opportunities through technology and other advances that can help us work smarter, there's a real human end to that as well, which we're particularly interested in. So you know, people talk about artificial intelligence and technological intelligence, but we're really interested in places that help also build emotional intelligence into cultures and organisations, and that's really about people and enabling people. Um, so if, if people are working smarter, then they can then leverage all of those other technological advances as well. Yeah, I, I agree entirely with that, and I think, you know, for, for me, the culture of an organisation, and our organisation at Arab has a very particular culture, which is, which is um, quite a, quite a kind of social one, and you know that that's that's a key element to this, you know, sort of uh, emotional well-being that you're talking about. You know, we want to create places for our people where they want to come together and actually really enjoy what they're doing and enjoy how they collaborate with people and how they socialise with people and um, you know and do, and do great work. Um, and and that is you know that's partly enabled by technology, it's partly by workplace, but fundamentally it's un- underpinned by um, culture and behaviour uh, within any one organisation, and that's something that you know we're we're, we're very focused on at Arab. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for sharing that, both of you. Um, so, can you tell us about the guiding principles of you know these new buildings? Um, people might not know what we're talking about, but can you take us through why it was so important to have this new approach or this like forward thinking approach rather than just leasing another office building when, you know, so the lease came up or whatever. And there's new buildings we have in Sydney, Melbourne and Singapore. So can you tell us about the guiding principles to start with and then maybe um, how, you know, they're the same, the buildings are the same and then how the buildings are also different as well? Yeah, sure. So um, Arab have created three new workplaces uh, that have opened in the last uh, few weeks, uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Singapore, all significant um, offices with you know, hundreds of staff. Um, but that that is is the culmination of um, seven years, I think, of um, strategising, planning, looking at what we might do. Um, and that started with uh, an engagement with Hassel that, that Steve and his team worked on, where we, we said, regardless of where we're going to be moving and when, Let's just think about what is the future of workplace um, for our organisation. 
Um, what are the what are the things that are going to change, and what do we need to do to uh, respond to? And you know what what we saw changing obviously was technology, and also though the the impact that that technology had was having on you know the nature and style of working of the people that we saw coming into our business, the um, digital natives as they as they call them, you know people who have grown up in that in that environment of, of technology work in a very different way to those of us who you know, used to work on drawing boards and so on. So so we we really wanted to think about um, that. And, and what, what we ended up doing, uh, or Hassel um, did with us, uh, working, talking to our staff and imagining what the future might might be like and, and putting that into a set of um, sort of guiding um, principles. And, and, and so what that did, it captured those things that we already felt were very strong about our organisation and, and our culture and the way we work and passionate about um, and, and then merge that into how was that going to be changing in the future um, with uh, new ways of working. So establish a set of uh, workplace guidelines, which we then um, implemented into these new workplaces um, over a period of, of time to get to the point now um, where you know, we've, we've realised those uh, ambitions. And I think, Andrew, I think what's really important about that process is the holistic nature of those original questions that you asked yourselves as an organisation. So, you know, to your point, though, you know, it's easy to just sign up another lease and get yourself another office the same as you used to have. But, um, but if you really start asking yourself, what kind of organisation holistically do we want to be in the future? And as you said, Andrew, building on both the strengths that you've already got, but also identifying things that you want to change, then really your workplace as an embodiment of that idea and that future culture should be a key enabler to making that reality because your workplace is such a pervasive enabler and communicator of that idea that it can give you a big head start to, to becoming that organisation into the future by making it easy to do things that are aligned with that future culture and making it harder to do things that are, that are misaligned or working against you. Mm. And, what, and what's interesting is how that manifests itself in, in the actual spaces. It was a very significant shift in the use of space. And I remember some diagrams that the Hassel team put together um, looking at you know, how much uh, in our old offices, how much was um, you know, normal workspace, if you like, where all, where all the desks are, if you like, um, you know, and how much is circulation, how much is meeting space, and how much is collaboration space, and so on. And, and what the new offices have is a very different uh, mix. So the, the primary work areas are, are a lot, lot smaller, um, but uh, the total area usage on a per-person basis is about the same. And what we've been able to do by sort of con- condensing, uh, intensifying the primary work areas and going to a mobile or, or agile working uh, is to create all these other places for uh, whether it's be for collaboration or research or quiet working, you know, all these all this rich variety of different spaces that um, you know, that enable people to you know choose where they work and work in the very best uh, way at, at any one time. So that's, that's for me probably the biggest shift that we we've we've seen. Mm, so giving people a bit of choice. Yeah, you're giving you're giving people more choice, and but I was also going to say that the the reason that that's the right strategic move for Arup is because, as Andrew said, you know, the beginning point was, okay, our real strength as an organisation, our strategic strength or our advantage is the quality 
of our people at Arup and, and their expertise, but then the generosity and collegiality and knowledge sharing that's built into their culture. And so the, the idea of shifting that space allocation is to actually expose that generosity and culture and put it on show and allow it to um, allow it to run, you know, and, and make it more visible both to one another within Arup, but also, really importantly, making it apparent and visible as an advantage to the outside world. So to Arup clients and collaborators and potentially talent that might want to come and join the organisation in the future. These are all things that now, when you walk into their new spaces, you can immediately see those cultural attributes all around you in a way that the older, more traditional spaces didn't really reflect very well. Absolutely, and, and you know the brief. The brief I summarise the brief as um, you know a, a workspace that could only be Arab, um, and you know it really does sort of capture what we're about as an organisation. Of course, you know we we work in the built environment. Our offices are a showcase for um, for our design. Uh, but more so for um, our, our collaborative nature and our culture and so on. And, you know, it amuses me when you walk into some organisations and they have what they call the client floor. And, and then, you know, you know there are other floors that are actually quite different. What does that say about an organisation where they have to sort of dress up a client floor and make you feel better about being in that and, and, and where their people work is something different? And Aaron, we're very proud of what we are as an organisation. We put everything on show. When you walk into our, into our office, you feel straight away that you know you are immersed in this uh, in this organisation and everything that it stands for. And I think that's that's good, obviously, for our clients. But I think it also engenders a sense of kind of pride um, in, in in our staff as well. And so, Zoe, there were sort of three main ideas I think within that from our from our point of view. Because then we our team helped our to um, explore that idea and and express that as their brief. But then we also our teams then worked on the design and collaborated with the Arab engineers to actually design the physical spaces in each of the Melbourne, Sydney and Singapore offices. And there were three main ideas, I think, that started to drive those um, designs from the strategic guidelines that we're talking about. One one was this, as Andrew's alluding to, this sort of expanded front of house idea where instead of just a single controlled um, front of house, you actually make the whole of the office or a, or a much greater portion of the office into an active, collaborative uh, front of house zone where you can actually occupy that space with your clients and partners and where they immediately get exposed to working with Arif just by being in, in the space with them. Um, so that was one key idea. But the other two are probably also important. I mean, one was to recognise the diversity of the ways in which our people collaborated with each other around the office and the different forms that that took and providing a better range of spaces that reflected all those different ways that people were wanting to collaborate with, with one another and putting that on show to one another as well. So now hopefully as you walk around the offices, you can see a full diversity of you know, workshopping spaces, um, whiteboard walls, little huddle meetings, big town hall meetings, one-on-one chats, and all of those other things, like every version of how people can collaborate should be visible, and you get a sense of all of that collaboration going on in the organisation. So that was the second idea. And probably the third one, which is really important in our and most other organisations too, is to make sure that 
the, all the diverse teams in the business are just as supported by the workspace as one another. So you're not designing it for one part of the organization, but you're designing a series of spaces that can be equally well used by all the different parts of the organization, even though they're really quite different. You know, I mean, in Arab's case, you've got people working on very large, very long-running um, infrastructure engineering projects that go for years at a time, or you've got very short, sharp um, pieces of quick consulting advice that might only last several hours or several days um, and, and everything in between. So you've really got to be able to work equally well at, at both ends of that spectrum. So those were the sort of ideas, maybe three key ideas that started to drive what the physical spaces should then be like. Yeah, just picking up on that last point, um, you know, and, and, and you know, we're very much a multidisciplinary business. Uh, lots of businesses are these days, of course, that do lots of things. But for us, the real um, value that we deliver tends to be where we bring those thing, different things together. There's a nice quote that I like, which says that uh, you know the value is in the mortar, not just in the bricks. Um, and I and I very much see that as Eric. So creating a workplace that is that is agile, but also is highly kind of connected, was really important. And of course, we've done that uh, by creating large voids in our space and that visual connection and that just that sense that we're all part of one organisation. Whereas that's very difficult to do where you have discrete floors. As soon as you have discrete floors, you know they tend to have a subculture. That we, we work very hard to uh, not do that and make sure that, you know, we, we work as one joined up organization. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, um, visited the office last week. And so I definitely felt that when I was there that you could see everyone else on the different floors and you felt like, you know, it was still, even though if you were on floor, you know, four or five, you could still easily jump on the stairs and, and go and see the next person. Um, you could even probably shout, um, but I'm sure the acoustic would, acoustics wouldn't allow for that. Uh, but I also felt that there were lots of different rooms and like spaces that, uh, you know, like the, the small library, for example, or, or, you know, the, I think acoustic room or sound room. Can you give us some examples of these different things that you've included and why you've included them? Yeah, sure. So it, it, it's probably two things that have driven that. One is what we've been talking about in terms of providing that variety of different work settings for people. So the, the library you mentioned is a good example. So we have a library. We have lots of books. <laughs> so so um, we can create a library. But really the point is it's it's a space for very quiet working. So no, no phones, no speaking. If you just want to get away and work quietly, then you've got somewhere to go. Um, and then there's a variety of other sort of more collaboration style Spaces, design studio spaces, meeting rooms. So there's that variety, but also, um, you know, we have some really interesting things that we do at Arup around uh, knowledge and research. So one one of the interesting ones is Arup University, which is our internal uh, knowledge management um, research foresight um, entity that is, is is global, but we have five full time staff in, in Sydney. Uh, that are there to support our knowledge management. We put them at the base of the, the atrium on, on level three, and that's very much a focal point. And, and that's that's very intentional that they are very visible because knowledge management is fundamental. And then we also have some sort of technical specialist spaces where we're able to actually um, simulate. You mentioned the sound lab, for example. I mean, that's a, that's a very high-tech, acoustically isolated space that has a, a 360-degree surround sound system you know, beyond anything that you would um, have at home that, that can allow our clients to experience 
sound environments, whether it be because we're designing a new concert hall or people are concerned about um, road from road noise or rail noise. And, and so that's a very technical specialist space. Uh, and, and our lighting guys also have a, a lighting lab, which is actually a meeting room. But what we've done is we've set it up in a way that they can very quickly and easily change the lighting. Uh, we've got new samples, um, you know, new products come onto the market, they can test them or they might be um, doing a, a mock-up of an area for a, for a client. They, they can very quickly do that. So um, we've also got Makerspace, we're developing an experiential space. So there's a whole variety of kind of rich technical spaces that support um, you know, what, uh, what we do as an organisation. And I think it's really important that, that we have these because um, you know, I, think, I think some engineering firms are just a bunch of people sat behind a, behind a computer, and of course we've got a lot of them, but you know, we, we, we want our people to really be engaged in the physical doing of and, and research into those things that, um, that we do. So um, here in Sydney, uh, Melbourne, Singapore, we all have this wide variety of different technical spaces that allow us to you know, push the boundaries of what we do. Yeah, excellent. Now, how have you improved remote working um, for people that maybe can't get into the or don't come into the office every day? So we, we, um, one of the things we decided to do before the move of the three big offices was to try and get people working as best they could in, in this kind of new ways of working. So we, we implemented all Skype for business, um, soft phone style uh, working. We also have people working agile, um, so everybody, you know, everybody has a laptop, nobody has a fixed desk and, and so on. Um, the old offices weren't really kind and very well designed for that, but nevertheless, um, we, we got people working in that way. So a lot of that, the sort of uh, technology side of things, we had already introduced, and that and, and, and that gives people uh, that opportunity to uh, work, as I said earlier, where, where, wherever they think appropriate. So our culture here and the way that, the way that we work is that um, we, we trust our people to do the right thing uh, by our clients and by us and work wherever they feel is appropriate, uh, do their best work. And that might be um, at home, ideally if they've got an ergonomic work set up, um, if they're going to be there for very long, um, or they might be working in a, you know, a cafe or a client's office or a project office or whatever it might be. Um, so uh, the, 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 the mobile technology and, as I say, driven mainly through Skype for Businesses uh, was implemented uh, a few months ago before we moved and, and everybody's in, into that uh, way of working. Yeah, so obviously you would need um, a number of policies for that flexibility piece in place. So can you um, share a bit of light on the policies for flexibility and how you've kind of instilled that in the culture at Arab? It's really interesting because um, I couldn't actually tell you what our policies are um, and I'm not even really that interested in what they are, <laughs> if I can put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, you know, I, I think... Uh, how we treat our people and expectations around how they're going to work um, is much more of a kind of uh, behavioural and, and leadership um, question, uh, really. Um, and now, I think there are some policies around it, as I alluded to earlier. You know, we don't want people working, you know, sat up in bed, you know, in a, or, or in an ergonomically unsound uh, way um, at home or wherever they, wherever they might be. So we do have some guidance around, you know, expectations that, that people will have a, you know, a decent work set up. Um, I would say probably our policies are catching up. So we have, we still have core working hours, um, as we describe them, uh, it's about seven and a half hour working week. And you, you know, your, your core hours are sort of nine to four thirty and, and, you know, with half an hour, whatever, either side of 
We're actually looking now at, at bringing in much more flexible uh, work contracts. Um, and it's something we're going to be piloting in, um, in this region, uh, in, in, in Australasia region, but Arab are looking at globally, um, which are around saying, well, look, you know, we employ you to you know, do a notional 37 and a half hour work week. Um, but we don't need to tell you when to do that. Um, and we trust you to, um, you know, work those hours and, and, and do the right thing by us and by our clients and actually really freeing it up, um, uh, in terms of how people work. Uh, and the other the other aspect of that then is um, providing a, a great deal of flexibility around uh, how how people might uh, work with us. So, and this pretty much plays out already. You know, if people want to go to a four day work, uh, working week or you know, two and a half days or a nine day fortnight, you know, pretty much anything that's reasonable. Um, but as I say, for me, you know, the process the the, the processes and policies are are kind of catching up. But what's really important is how we treat our people and how they treat us and you know the people who work for Harrop you know they're professional people they're smart people they love what they're doing if anything it's it's more about telling them to go home at the end of the day you know uh, not and you know, not 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 be working too hard yeah i i think um instilling that culture like you said uh i think it's it sounds like and um i'm also aware of this um working for Arab uh is that, yeah, the policies are definitely there, but the culture is there. And that's the most important thing. Working in that high trust, high respect environment is really important. Um, and that's the only way, you know, that flexibility can work. You can have all the policies in the world, but if you don't have that culture there, then it's never going to work well. And I think that's why these spaces are so important because like I was saying before, you know, you work the physical environment. It's such um, make that culture visible, you know, it makes it apparent to everyone and you see those behaviours um, on show around you all the time and it becomes much easier for people to understand the culture that they're working within. Mm, yeah, well, that's a good segue to come back to the, um, the the built form and how did you incorporate, you know, sustainability into the design and operation of um, these new buildings? In both Sydney and Melbourne, we, um, we did a deal with the, um, developers, uh, investor here in Sydney and, and then lease down in, in Melbourne, uh, whereby, uh, we were the base building engineer, uh, as well as obviously looking after our own fit out, uh, which is one of the reasons it's taken us this long. Um, but it's allowed us to move into buildings where the base building design is, is Arab, uh, as well as our fit out design. It did allow us to influence, um, the, uh, the base building uh, and the fit out from a sustainability point of view. So in, in, in Sydney, and I think Melbourne's similar, but in, in Sydney, um, you know, we have a, a six green star um, base building and we also have a six green star fit out. So we did use the, the green star um, framework as, as our guide and the Green Building Council um, just about put out a press release and one of the things they, they, um, they mentioned is that we got four marks for materials. Uh, which is pretty unusual. Um, so we looked very hard at what materials we were using, obviously working with Hassel around selection of uh, furniture and um, finishes and like, um, energy efficiency, uh, indoor air quality was a big one. Uh, here in Sydney, we, we influenced the base building design to, uh, at least on our floors, um, to put in an underfloor air conditioning system. And that creates a very high quality internal environment compared to uh, traditional systems. So that was a that was a particular um, feature here. We have I forget the number. It's about nine hundred 
plants I think we've got in the office. So, you know, that, that helps. We've got a tree <laughs> in our university space, which is, uh, you know, possibly a bit symbolic. But, um, yeah, I think it's interesting that you design any space. There's all these, all these different things pulling you in, in different directions. Um, in terms of workplace and sustainability and obviously working within budgets and, and so on. Um, but I think it's, it's fair to say that sustainability was always kind of front and centre. And partly because that's our world, that's, you know, we, we obviously consult into that world. But also, you know, our staff are pretty demanding around, you know, what, uh, what their expectations are of what Arab would provide. And I think if we didn't have a building that was walking and talk in terms of sustainability, they would question that as well. I think the other thing on sustainability that is important to talk about, which probably get overlooked a fair bit is that one of the most sustainable things you can do is maximize your kind of value from the building that you that you're occupying, you know. So organizational value per square meter, not just people per square meter, but are you getting maximum value and impact out of the amount of space that you occupy? And I think that's something that's probably less less technical and less that sort of built fabric in its in its idea, but but organisationally, let's maximise the use of these resources and make sure we're getting full value from them, which I think the Arab workplaces um, really do. Now I've heard that Arab plan to be carbon neutral by 2020. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Um, so in in this region, we have committed 100% uh, renewable energy um, purchase. In fact, we launched the RE100, I don't know if you saw that, the RE100, which is the 100 organisations globally uh, that are committing to full renewables. Um, the Australasia part of that uh, organisation was uh, launched here. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's part of a commitment that um, we, we as an organisation are putting the uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals at the heart of our, our business strategy. Two reasons. One is it's the right thing to do, and the other is uh, that we think that's you know future success is that we head in that direction for our business. Um, so yes, excellent. Now, what smarts have you incorporated uh, into your uh, into the building, but also the planning and that kind of thing as well? Yeah, one one thing probably worth highlighting is our um, sort of wayfinding, people finding um, uh, platform. Uh, we, we did a pilot of Agile Working. Uh, in fact, as I mentioned, we ended up with, through this office, the whole office uh, working um, Agile. But when we did the original pilot, and we asked people, did they, you know, what did they like or didn't they like about working this Agile way? We asked them 30 questions, and 29 of them were either neutral or positive around um, Agile Working. And the one thing that people, you know, was a bugbear for people was, that they couldn't find, or they didn't know where to go to find their colleagues if they wanted to have a face-to-face. In, in the new offices, we've um, implemented a, uh, a system that uh, basically knows where everybody is. Well, not entirely where everybody is, but knows where their laptop is. I, either through the Wi-Fi or if you're connected directly to the network, the system knows where you are. Um, and there is uh, a touch screen on each of our floors, a large uh, displays touch screen where you can just tap in somebody's name and it will bring up where they are in the office or indeed you through your, your laptop. So uh, that that was it's it's not a entirely innovative. Other organisations have done similar things, but ours very much designed around uh, our space and what we wanted to achieve. So that was um, that was a good use of um, technology to deal to deal with uh, one of the consequences of agile working. Uh, beyond that, I think, you know, we've, we've obviously got the full suite of technology solutions that you'd expect around video conferencing, 
uh, around the primary workpoint setup. Um, we have dual monitors on nearly every screen, which um, seems to be something that our staff are particularly keen on. They're working on technical work. And, um, so from the technology side of things, one of the nice things was that everything pretty much worked when we when we moved, which I think was a bit of a shock to some of our staff. They were kind of almost half expecting it not to, but everything worked um, pretty well. So you know that 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 layer of technology to work you know it's a, it's a given now that if you're going to work in this new agile kind of smart way the technology has to be right um but that's only one side of the equation as, as steve was alluding to earlier there's the people side um uh, as well and that interface of how people work in a way that embraces the technology embraces the way of working within the new uh, workplace and bringing all of those things all together is what creates success and i think it's really nice for me to have seen that people have really embraced the way of working in the new office more so than in the, in the old one because the office provides all those facilities and the technology works and it all makes sense to them. One of the other challenges is doing that across locations too, right? So more and more an organisation like our, you know, is a network of people that are moving around across all these different cities working with clients across different different places. And so the technology just doesn't doesn't have to just work for the people who are based there, but ideally seamlessly someone from Melbourne can walk into Sydney office and it works just as seamlessly as it does at home every time. So that's that's an added challenge that's getting more and more important as people's work gets more mobile across different places. Yeah, absolutely. And some people thought we were a bit mad to move our three largest offices in the region within uh, a month of each other, and it probably was um, in some ways. But what it did do was allow us to to make sure that uh, those things that needed to be the same across the different fit-outs uh, were. So the experience of using a VC room or the desktop setup, uh, for example, is the same uh, where, uh, wherever you go. Uh, and in fact, you know, we had our global um, PIO over head of IT, I guess you call it, um, you know, he was talking about what was going on around the Arab world, and he very much sees what we've done here as leading um, in terms of our use of technology and, and our approach to um, to workplace. And I, I, in some ways, I'm not entirely surprised about that because I think Australia generally, Steve, you might have a view on this, but Australia generally is pretty progressive around use of workplace and technology, and you know, creating these sorts of environments. Yeah, that's certainly. I think people have observed that over a long time now and seems to be commonly accepted view that there's something progressive about workplace and workplace designs and um, and the way they support organisations in Australia. And I know that we certainly have clients who come from all around the world to see projects like these, not just because of the design and, and the smarts of the technology, but I think particularly because for how they support people and organisational cultures. Mm. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and that's, that's certainly true in the certainly true in the Arab world. You know, L- London are just about to um, you know design the fit out of their next major space, and uh, you know they're certainly looking at what we've done here in Sydney and Melbourne, Singapore, and I'm looking to learn um, from us. But the, the feedback I get is, you know, the biggest challenge isn't the design of the workplace or the technology; it's actually getting people. You know, now we haven't really talked about that, but that whole change management process of getting people to think about working differently, how you encourage them to do so, and then how you get a successful outcome, uh, particularly for those people who, you know, it can be a very big change, uh, typically the older staff. Uh, that's a very important part of transition. But as you said, Andrew, you know, if, if, if it's set up right, um, it helps with that 
because it makes it intuitive, you know? I mean, and that's great design, right? Whether you're talking about industrial design of an object or a, or a, or a piece of equipment or, or a software, the intuitive use of it is something that is a, is an attribute of great design. And, and, and the same thing works for all workplace design is if it's good, people naturally understand it and how it's intended to be used and start doing it naturally without needing a manual or to be taught how to use it or, or to go through some sort of rigorous training change process, which is not to say that these things don't represent change for people. They do, of course. But I think if, if the design is good and integrated, I, and I'm talking holistically, the design of the overall outcome for people, if it's good and integrated, then it makes it easier for people to adapt to that change and work in a, in a new and different way. Yeah, and we've definitely seen that here. Um, I've been surprised how you know, some of the people that I thought would be really challenged uh, have actually just stepped into the new way of working here. So that I think that you know really answers your or speaks to what, what you're saying. But, but part of that is actually making sure that everything they need is provided for. And it's all it's, the devil is often you know in the detail around you know where where do I where do I put my PPE or you know how. How do I access my locker? Or you know, you've got to think of all these things. And then if you get get you know ninety nine percent of it right, then people will just just go with it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Now, this next question, I might merge these two, but what do you think the emerging trends are that people aren't talking about enough? And I think on the theme of you know the way that we're working, what are those emerging trends? It's interesting. I think it's a great question, and this is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about because um, you know we need to be ahead of the, ahead of these trends and thinking about things before people start talking about them. I think one of the biggest ones is work and organizations getting more and more self-organizing, you know, moving beyond traditional organizational structures and hierarchies and genuinely becoming self-organizing teams. Now you know, once you take that to a certain extent, it really does change the dynamic in a workplace environment in a way that affects all of the things we've been talking about, the use of space, the use of technology, the cultural cues, and, and everything that a work environment provides to a core organisation has to accommodate that or, or empower and enable that level of self-organisation. So, you know, it's a bit like... Um, we sometimes talk about the difference between a set of traffic lights and a roundabout, you know, and at, a, at an intersection. In the old organization uses traffic lights and spatial hierarchies in the workplace to command and control when to go and when to stop and who's going when. Um, whereas the round, fluid movement of a roundabout means there's some basic set of principles that you're working to and within that people look after themselves do the right thing and things work actually more smoothly than they do through through a traffic light. Same thing in an organization. So um, but that brings some real challenges, I think, particularly around leadership and cultural leadership. Um, because when the rules get less and the guiding principles and cultural principles get get more emphasis, then obviously you know you're 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 leaning on that a lot to lead a very different kind of organization where you're leading from behind a, a group of people rather than necessarily leading from 
from the front, if you know what I mean. So I think that that's a real um, challenge, not so much in the immediate term, but if you take that to its full conclusion, that starts to really be quite a challenging thing that I don't think people are really talking about as much as maybe we should be. Um, if, for example, if you think about that going to the point of the traditional um, makeup of the organisation actually breaking down and becoming instead of a single organisation, an aggregation of independent workers working as freelancers or small boutique niche businesses that come together on a project by project basis. Yeah. To the extent that the that the body of the organisation isn't there anymore, but is actually just made up on an as needed, real, you know, just in time basis. That really starts to pose quite a different design challenge for, you know, physical workplace and technology platforms, and even how much space you need, what kind of space, how security works, who's inside, who's outside, etc., etc., etc. All really start to need to be thought through again from first principles. And there are lots of organisations or industries that are headed that direction um, quickly already. You know, if you take the media sector, for example, newspapers. You know, they need vastly less physical real estate than they used to because of the way their workforce has changed. And there's no reason why large, you know, engineering firm like Arup um, or design firms like Arup and Hassel or other kinds of more traditional firms might not go along the same way. It just means that they, they will need to come together in a different way in that workplace. Yeah, look, I think what Steve's been talking about um, is really interesting. But I just wonder about the, the capacity of leadership to be able to create organizations, um, like that. But I think, you know, you can, you can see the potential in, in that, but it's, it's, it's almost, it's just a step beyond, you know, we talk, we talk about technologies and enabler workplace, um, culture, leadership. Where does that then go? You know, you kind of have to have all those other things, I think, lined up. Um, and right, and then say, okay, how do we how do we push this even further? And, and for, for Arab, I think that multidisciplinary bringing you know bringing people together, project based you know approach is, uh, is is where we're heading. Yeah, excellent. I think it becomes a conversation about uh, about belonging and identity. You know, I think even in that environment, people still want to belong to something. Um, it's just that what that Make, is made up of is changing. So we look, for example, at the, the co-working sector, so the co-working community, which has grown massively over the last five to ten years or so. We do quite a lot of work in that sector, and I find that really interesting because people will people who could easily work from home or, or remotely in their small business are paying uh, economic value to belong to an environment, even though it's not a traditional organisation. There's something in that that talks to the value of place, the value of uh, community, um, and why people want to come together as part of doing their work, even when they don't have to on an organisational basis. So um, it's those sort of things, I think, that are going to be interesting over the coming 10 years or so, especially if you then pose yourself a challenge of trying to understand and measure the value of these things. You know, what... What is the value of a well-designed workplace? Um, I, I think we should be in 10 years from now. I'd like to hope we're much better at being able to capture and quantify and measure and analyze the value that great design brings to those kinds of challenges. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I think uh, I'm one of those people uh, that has paid for an office in a co-working space. Um, and it's because I, as an extrovert, I like the people. I like being able to go to a a different place that isn't my house. And then, you know, I guess belong, I obviously have, I belong to the Arab community, but then I also have this other community where I do my other work um, that, you know, you just get ideas that you never, you didn't think that you could even think of because, you know, people just bring such a different perspective um, when they're not in the same, you know, background or discipline as you. But then also it's a more relaxed feel as well. Um, so you just kind of get, yeah, this, different thoughts coming out and different conversations that are happening. So, um, and I also think that with the, the younger generation, that's what they'll be looking for. We'll be looking for belonging purpose, but also that flexibility, um, that we spoke about earlier, um, being in a high trust, high respect environment. And how do you, um, as leadership really, um, you know, instill that in your culture? Uh, so yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Steve, and thanks for adding that, Andrew, because I think you're right. That structure um, needs to be there, those foundational pieces of leadership and, you know, having the right um, things in place and that kind of thing. It, it can't happen without those. So I think that's that conversation is quite well-rounded because we've got all the pieces of the pie coming together. Yeah, and I think the Arab workplace projects are, are heading in absolutely that direction. You know, that, like you said, you want to be exposed to the most interesting ideas and conversations. And smart organisations like Arab know that they don't have a monopoly on on good ideas. There are going to be also good ideas from outside of Arab, from their partners, from their clients, et cetera, et cetera. So all that front of house space that we talked about and the internal visibility within the office is about making sure Arab people are exposed to all the interesting stuff that the, that the organisation is touching in its day-to-day work so that people get both the sense of belonging to the organisation but also exposure to all the interesting stuff beyond the organisation. Well, ultimately, that's where the rubber hits the road. You know, I mean, we can sit here and be very you know, proud of our office and our company, but what influence do we make in the world? You know, how we talk about shaping a better world, you know, and that it, so one of the things I like about, you know, this place that we've created is that you know, when our clients come along, you know, they want to come to our office. They want to engage with us. It improves our ability to do what we want to do, which ultimately is influence, you know, better design outcome, better, you know, better built environment, better cities. And, you know, ultimately it's about providing better service to our client. Excellent. Well, it's been so great to chat with you both. I really just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Maybe Steve, do you want to go first? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm at Hassel. Um, so our website is Hassel Studios. So that's H-A-S-S-E-L-L-Studio.com. Um, or email me. So it's scoster, S-C-O-S-T-E-R at HasselStudio.com or on Twitter at, at SteveCoster33. And, um, yeah, always interested to meet new people who are talking about these sorts of things because we've, we've got lots, we can still be learning from each other, I think. Excellent. So it's Andrew Pettifer, P-E-T-T-I-F-E-R. You can find me on LinkedIn at Andrew Pettifer on Twitter or andrew.pettifer at arab.com. Excellent. Well, we'll put all the links in the show notes so people can click away. It's been awesome to chat with you. Um, thanks so much for coming on to the Smart Community Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Excellent. Talk soon. 
thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.